Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast. Sorry, this has been a little bit of a break that was unintentional. Anyway, moving forward, let's get on with things. What the fuck happened with FTX? That's what Jesse and Andy are here to talk about. Jesse is a fund manager himself. He runs a Bitcoin fund. You know him as Croesus, or you have known him as Croesus. Jesse came out, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about that in the show. Andy Edstrom, you know, because he wrote one of the best books in Bitcoin called Why Buy Bitcoin. If you've not read it, what are you doing? Buy 20 copies and give it to your friends and family because it's an incredible way to help orange pill those that you love the most. You can do that via Consensus Network. No, you can't. Sorry, Andy's not on Consensus Network. DM Andy. He'll tell you the best place to go and buy the book. It might even be available on swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten, which is where you can set up a DCA plan, dollar cost average plan. Why would you do that? Listen to this show and you will understand why. You can also do that across Europe with relay.ch forward slash bitten. That will help save on commission fees for you so you can stack those sats as as quickly and as I mean Relay now you download the app and you can smash by via your bank card this all under two or three minutes with minimal KYC literally just about an email address I believe now coincorner.com forward slash referral forward slash social forward slash bits just hit the link in the show notes it's far easier you can set up an account with them in euros or pounds to fiat cost average your way into Bitcoin at these ridiculously low prices. If you're not stacking, you should be. If you've not set up a dollar cost average, fiat cost average, you should be. Make sure you are doing that. There are three places you can stack some sats. For those more advanced, if you're considering coin joining, get down the rabbit hole, figure out whether this is something for you, play around with it. You can use wasabiwallet.io to do that. It's desktop, download, create wallet, receive, send in a few hundred thousand sats, watch the magic happen. You're done. You've done your first coin join. Worth doing and seeing if it's something that you want to follow up with. Orange Pill app launched at Pacific Bitcoin. Keep a close eye on what these guys are doing. I think it's going to be a great addition to the space and if you want to get across to some of these conferences please make sure that you are meeting bitcoiners in person that's what the app is all about it's about bringing people together so we can build stronger and faster and get to hyper bitcoinization in a much better manner than just watching all of this ftx shit blow up in front of our faces now ftx what happened there? People had their coins on the exchange. Don't do that. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know you should take control. You can use the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin hardware only hardware wallet by Shift Crypto. Hit up shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten 
and use code BITTEN for a 5% discount. Let's hear from Andy and Croesus. All right, we're recording. We're here with the boys. We're here with uh, uh, the, the the Maxi, who used to be known as Croesus, who's since come out. I, I missed your coming out party. I still go by it. It's weird to be called anything else in Bitcoin. <laughs> like, I'm not used to it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, my coming out party was two months ago now, so it's still pretty recent. Yeah. Andy, did you make I've it? No- I've known. Uh, I did not make it to the to the actual event unfortunately oh there, there wasn't there wasn't any actual oh, okay okay because <laughs> i remember because i remember uh when we were when there was planning for pacific bitcoin conference going on and i reached out to to crease so i was like hey man you should unmask yourself at the conference it'll be a tremendous event and he goes oh yeah i already did it <laughs> yeah i probably should have saved it up a bit but yeah we had talked because you had called me a few weeks prior Actually, to pick my brain, I think on the decision you were you were you're trying to make the decision. Hey, do I come out? Do I not? You know, pros and cons. And uh, I think I encouraged you to go for it, but uh, but uh, I'm glad you did, man. Yeah, me too. So far, so far, it's been fun. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta say, man, I, I think it's a very very cool thing. Well done, like uh, for for stepping up and and doing that. I know it's probably you know when you make these decisions, there's a lot of soul searching and you know the, the reasons that you chose to be a nim in the first place you have to go through all of that questioning again uh but i think it's an important step a very important step and i think you will bring a lot of other people comfort uh, knowing that it's not just some nim it there is a guy behind these thoughts and your writing is very good uh so i think you made a great decision and i think it's going to help a lot of people so well done thanks cheers Here's hoping that that's true. Here's hoping that the pro, the pros are here and now, and the cons are this, you know, scary maybe some down the some somewhere down the road, I'll get targeted. But uh, hopefully, well, not. I just I just want to say we're only a couple minutes in the conversation here, and I'm already going to piss off all of uh, Princey's plebs. But um, love you, anons. Love you, pseudonyms. But uh, Bitcoin needs real people more than it needs pseudonyms. Sorry, guys. Uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, win the uh, what's what's the phrase? Win the contest rather than fight the, than the war, right? If we're gonna go the peaceful route, we need actual people with actual faces and actual names and actual families uh, to be out here being the flag bearers for Bitcoin. So I encourage uh, I encourage people to yeah. Use their own, their real name, their real face. Uh, yeah, come, yeah. Uh, come but, to the front of the firing line if you really believe in Bitcoin. Yeah, that that is part of uh, was part of the motivation of, like, one of the things that scares me for Bitcoin. Like, I, I, there's not much that I'm afraid of going wrong with Bitcoin adoption into the future. But one of the things that seems like, you know, there's a small possibility of it happening, is that somehow we uh, get caught in the proverbial chasm uh, in the adoption curve. So there's this concept of crossing the chasm from your innovators and early adopters to get to the majority and, you know, translate the value proposition from the people who can see and, and can, you know, see the, see forward into the future and understand the value of this thing and the people who don't think in that way. Uh, And I think that an important part of getting across the chasm and, and, you know, communicating the value proposition of Bitcoin to, to the masses 
is to have people like Andy and people like me and people like you uh, who have families and uh, are, are, I don't know, I, I guess a little bit more, a little bit more polished and ready for the public eye than many of the cypherpunks uh, or anarchists on the Silk Road were. Um, I think that's just a reality of adoption curves. Amen. Most of us barely clear that bar, if at all, myself included, but you know, I'm trying. I'm trying. I was going to say, Andy, you, you're looking very well, my friend. This, you know, you and I have been chatting for two, two and a half years ago. I started the pod almost three years ago, and you were one of the first five or 10 people on there. And this is the best I've ever seen you looking. What what's your secret, brother? Wow, you're very you're very kind. Well, ironically, I'm a little bit under the weather. I've been sick. Uh, I've been sick all week uh, after the conference. I'm sure I picked up some bug. Who knows what it was? You can probably hear it in my voice. However, however, I did hit. Uh, I did hit my goal weight um, from peak. I'm now, if you can believe it. So, by the way, on a good day, which is to say, never. I'm five feet, nine inches tall. So I'm not a tall fellow, unlike uh, unlike our man Jesse over here or Princey. You guys are, you guys are, uh, neither of you is short. I'm not a tall guy, but it was early 2017 that I stepped onto the scale and I saw 196 pounds. And that was the moment for me that I realized I, I had to, I had to do something about this. So it was early 2017 that I, that I found keto. Okay. And I lost a bunch of weight. And of course that, I was unaware of the uh, depth of the carbohydrate scam, okay, up to that point. So that was a reorientation of my worldview, and that prepped me nicely to start paying attention to Bitcoin, right? I'd already had my 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 view reoriented once. So anyway, so that's when I discovered that, and obviously it's been up and down since then, but I just hit, uh, I just hit 159, so I'm down 37 pounds from peak, um, so you may be able to see it in my face, but, mm -hmm. uh, I am in better shape probably than I've been in, in like 15 years. Thank you for noticing Princey. <laughs> Mate, how, how I was never going to let that slide. Was I, you, he, you look, he's you're got radiant. A, he's got a pull-up bar in the backyard. He just, he's ripping pull-ups. <laughs> that is my go-to. It's a, it's a two in one. It's a jungle gym for the kids. You know, it's got like a swing and it's got a ladder to, to climb on. And, uh, it also has a pull-up bar and yeah, that, uh, that's very convenient makes a difference so have you fallen down the the other kind of bro science rabbit holes of like no seed oils uh um going full carnivore sunning your balls when you can where, where are you at <laughs> well i am more carnivore than i've been in a long time maybe not least since we had the beef steak at my place uh last week and so there was a lot of you didn't you fridge. hosted that <laughs> yeah i did oh man did. Well <laughs> um it's a good time. It's a good time. Um, but uh yeah, I'm on I'm on pretty heavy beef. I still eat a ton of veggies. So basically my diet is uh yeah, is green veggies plus beef. I probably three steaks a week. I usually when I eat steak, about a pound and a quarter, and I consume all the fat. I uh I cook it down and render it kind of and then cook the meat in it. And then other than that, you know, ground beef and burgers. I have kind of lost my taste for chicken. I really don't right. love chicken anymore. Um, I eat some salmon, you know, some fish. Anyway, enough about that. But that's okay. where I am. All right, save that. Save that rendered down fat, and then cook your oven chips or 
fries, whatever you call it, in, in that. If you haven't, no, no, you, you don't understand. I eat it all every time. Right. <laughs> there isn't any. Just, just drink it. I down. leave a little bit in the in the skillet, in the cast iron skillet. <laughs> right. Oh, you're cast iron gang. My God. Right. Ha- hang on Same a second. Here. Lauren has Lauren has entered uh, stage right here. Lauren. Uh, the professional uh, is here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's she's finished playing around with her friends. And wants to come and talk some some actual, you know, Bitcoin. And great to see you, Lauren. Yeah, Lauren, you probably talked to both of us years ago. Don't know if you remember that, but I wonder if she remembers that the first episode wasn't the first episode she was on. Wasn't that wasn't that you and me, Princey? That's right. Good times. Do Do you remember that, Andy? You you flicked onto the uh, the Zoom the Zoom video. And I had Lauren sat on my knee and we had why buy Bitcoin open. And I was reading her a Bitcoin bedtime story. <laughs> uh, oh. Lauren, yeah. Lauren, Lost your audio, Lauren. Up there. Oh, yeah, I, was... Did we lose audio there? I think you probably have to be right in front of that mic. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. hello. Yeah, yeah there you yes. are. Hi, Lauren. Hi. So what do you remember about that first um, podcast episode? bedroom my dad had a box and a tray and he had and he put the like the laptop on it and like with like this crappy bluetooth mic thing that's right and it was just we had a cardboard box <laughs> and we had a i can't remember maybe we had the the yeti microphone at that point i think that was the most expensive thing i'd bought to, to start the podcast uh and we had the dining room chair in there uh but no one would have ever known we looked very professional so Lauren, you're gonna a star have a... was born. A star was born. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Lauren's gonna fire away and ask you guys a question. Uh, asked. Uh, right into yeah, the mic. Right. Remember. Asked. Um, Croesus. Uh, Andy, a um, that this question, but it was a long time ago. Uh, but uh, it's for both of you. Um, what's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? And Second question is, what is your favorite book? Hmm. Wow. You want to uh, go first? You want me to take it? Do you have an answer ready for? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, no, I don't have an answer. I'm just top of mind. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about Bitcoin, besides that it's going to make the world better, is uh, is the people. Um, you know, what a tremendous community. Talking with you all today, uh, just I was going to say some of the best people in my life. How about most of the best people in my life are Bitcoiners? <laughs> and, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. And my favorite book is still Catch-22, which if you haven't read yet, uh, you definitely should, Lauren. I don't know if, I don't know if it's age appropriate yet, but uh, it's a hilarious take on uh, the dark side of war. And I've never laughed so hard uh as when I read uh, Catch-22 and I've read it over and over and I love it. Favorite character? Oh, man. Favorite character is probably uh, General uh, General Scheisskopf. <laughs> General Shithead. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also Milo, have... Milo Minderbinder. Milo, the, uh, the unrepentant arms dealer... He sells to both sides. He sells to the good guys. He sells to the bad guys. And moreover, he sells a defective product. And uh, yeah, that's another classic. Sounds anyway. like a, a central banker. 
There you go. All right. I remember major, major, if I'm not mistaken. Major, 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 major. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right, Chris, (laughs) you're up. Uh, Okay. So in terms of like, what's my favorite part about Bitcoin? I think it's, I think I just, I'm, I'm a nerd about how Bitcoin delivers increasing scarcity and, and how that flips the entire investing world on its head. Uh, and I think it's just so fascinating how Bitcoin did that through some code and everything that it is achieving is just, in, it's endogenous, meaning it comes from within, you know, it's not relying on anything external. So just some math that is coming from within that requires the entire financial world to come to heal. And I think that's just so cool. Um, yeah. And, and we'll take your entire lifetime to play out in terms of book. I have this sitting right here. I've been going through the series. This is the first in the series. And I thought of it because Princey, you might get a kick out of sharing this with your kids, but this is a, a history of the ancient world. Um, because I realized that I didn't know anything about, I, I just knew European history and, Amer- and American history. And I didn't know before I didn't, I didn't some Roman history, but I didn't know like what came before that or like where human civilization came from. And this book is, is awesome. In the first few chapters, it explains like how the pyramids got their shape, uh, where the Noah's Ark story comes from, uh, pretty awesome to like see the continuity and and also the the repetition of the same human arc of uh the rise and fall of empires all over the all over the the middle east and europe and and beyond after a few thousand years so anyway that's uh that's changed my understanding of the world in the last few years and you might get a kick out of it princey that looks amazing. That looks like a hefty read, though. And that's the only volume one, did you say? Yeah, this is so this is uh, the shit. history of the ancient world. And then there's right. I'm, I'm currently going through the medieval world right mm-hmm. now. And then there's the Renaissance after that, um, which I know a bit more about. So I don't know if I'll make it that far. But like the medieval world is pretty cool because I knew nothing about how you go from the fall of the Roman Empire to the the rise of the Catholic church and then the, like the cobbling together of stability through feudalism and that like turning into monarchies throughout Europe, like fascinating how it, it sort of weaves together all the stories, that you, the, the isolated stories you've heard about, <clears throat> but you don't know how you get, how you go from the Roman empire to Charlemagne, you know, and it, and it tells you that whole story in, in pretty, um, in good storytelling too. Great answers. That's awesome. History history is key. Um, I got my Will Durant History of the World on audio. Um, he's he wrote a much shorter book, which highly recommend. Actually, that I heard about from Ray Dalio. But m- many of the smartest people that I've ever met always give me the advice: read history. I'll tell you about one briefly. My former client Stephen Lukasik recently passed away. Last few years. And he was a brilliant guy, trained as a physicist. He ran 
the agency that would become DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And moreover, there's a there's a couple pages on him in I think in the book where wizards stay up late. It's about the the development of the early internet. He was the guy working at DARPA who was carrying around his computer on airplanes meeting to meeting and he would log into ARPANET. And so he was an early user of ARPANET, right, which became the standard for uh, the internet protocols that we know and love today. And his admonition, he's way way smarter than I am. His admonition to me, he said Andy, in his later years, read history. Read history. I agree. There you go. Do you like history? I like history. All right. You... Stuff like that. All right. Well, do you want to say thank you to the guys then? Yep. Bye. Thank you. Nice seeing you, Lauren. Yeah. Great seeing you, Lauren. And don't forget, Lauren, there was a there was a bottle of beer in the door of that fridge. <laughs> leave leave half yeah. for dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah all right guys let's 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 get into what's been going on because the reason we set this up was it was a tweet from andy that piqued my interest and it was the thread from travis kling who was the yes. the the founder and Chief Investment Officer, I suppose, of uh, Ikegai Investment Firm, a hedge fund firm, who a lot of us had a lot of time for, having listened to him on podcasts before, talking about Bitcoin so eloquently and clearly knew his stuff, but managed to get himself completely wrecked in possibly the most see-through story that we could all see coming with FTX. Um, so we wanted to jump on this call and talk about, you know, how, why did this happen and, and your thoughts. Uh, so I know you both work in financial markets and Andy, you're in um, wealth management. Croesus, you, uh, you're, you're running a, a fund yourself. So you've got a very good inside take on this. Where should we start this story, do you think, and, and take uh, take our thought process? Okay, I'll, I'll start it with the the problem that fund managers face uh it's a dilemma uh, when you get into crypto as a fund manager so i started my i have a little bitcoin fund it started as an altcoin fund in 2017 when that was my thesis uh i was an altcoiner and i was into ethereum and then you know the longer tail beyond that um and it took me a few years to find the Bitcoin rabbit hole and and have that overwhelm me with its clarity and truth. It's hard to find somehow um, because you're predisposed to see innovation as innovation and in technology as the driving force to be investing in because that's what worked with the internet. And it takes a while to unlearn that and realize that Bitcoin is about money and money tends to one and all these you know things that we love about Bitcoin. So as a fund manager, you have a, you have a problem though, because um, funds are typically set up in a way that you get paid because you are, you are curating an investment basket for your investors. You're saying, I, I'm spending all my time researching this market. Here are the 10 assets worth holding. And I have put them together in a, in a, into a mix that, I think is right, um, you know, for this moment in time going forward. 
And, and that's why you can justify, um, fees, like substantial fees, uh, two and 20 is the, the typical hedge fund setup. And that means you get 2% per year of the assets under management to cover, to keep the lights on and pay the bills for fund administration, audit tax, all the things you have to do, uh, and then, and pay yourself, uh, as, as the fund manager, um, and then 20% of the upside. So uh, above a certain hurdle, um, that's how hedge funds are set up. And, and it's because you're curating that basket. You're, you're guiding your investors, you're steering the ship, but Bitcoin creates a problem for that model because when you come to Bitcoin, when you realize the singular, um, value of Bitcoin, uh, and, and, and in particular, you have to think in risk adjusted terms. So there are, there are altcoins out there that will outperform Bitcoin over the next six months. Um, and there, there are some that are particularly the ones that are starting right now that will outperform over the next three years, but you're throwing darts. Um, there's going to be a handful of those out of the 10,000 that are made in the next three years that, that outperform. Um, and so risk adjusted, you're better off not touching those. You're better off, um, sticking with just Bitcoin because Bitcoin has these properties that will deliver a reliable, um, return, a much more reliable return than anything else in the crypto space and arguably any other asset out there. Um, so when you, when you realize that as a fund manager, you're in a, a crappy position because I, what I had to do was transition my fund from an altcoin fund to a Bitcoin holding fund. So I'm holding Bitcoin for my investors and they're paying me um, too much for that. And I've encouraged them to take self-custody and some of them did. Uh, and, and most of them still are, they would rather have my eyes on it and, and my conviction every month and in, in my updates. Um, and so they're willing to pay that. They don't need to be paying me that it's too much, but for some of them, it's, it's, uh, it's worth it. But that's the problem that um, Travis Kling and every other fund manager ends up in of your best risk adjusted approach in this landscape is to just hold Bitcoin. But how do you justify taking significant fees from your investors if you're just holding Bitcoin for them? And so I think there's that siren song that Travis, um, you, you don't see a lot of it. You don't see a lot of people going from Bitcoin only to playing with altcoins, but it tends to be fund managers. And that's because they have this incentive, this reason to justify to themselves that they can outperform Bitcoin, because that's the only way to justify the business model that, that a hedge fund is built around. So I think, I think that's the place to start this conversation of, of that's why Travis got into this thing is he heard the siren call, uh, and couldn't resist the, the hubris of, I can outperform Bitcoin. Andy, do you want to build on that? Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the profit imperative is, uh, is hard to resist in altcoin land. Um, so Jesse is a hundred percent right. Um, 
so I guess, yeah, I'll build on it a little bit. My personal experience with Ikigai. So first of all, I'll say a couple of disclaimers. Um, had no exposure to Travis or the fund. I've never actually even met Travis face to face, so I don't know him. Um, you know, since 2017, when my very smart friend Arun Rao said, hey, pay attention to crypto. Oh, and here's some materials. He forwarded me Ari Paul's uh, deck. Um, so that was my first uh, intro in 2017, um, other than the earlier, earlier ones that didn't stick. Um, you know, since then, basically, by the way, he runs a crypto fund and um, Ari does. And so, you know, I, I've been sniffing around the crypto fund space for years now. And um, I never and I have clients who are interested in crypto funds. So I shopped around. I did some due diligence on some places over the years and. Honestly, I never got a good vibe off of the conversations that I heard in the, in the interviews. I thought Travis understood a lot, um, but I felt that there was something um, a little bit off. Um, so I never did due diligence on his fund, and I did do due diligence on a bunch of uh, of other you know crypto funds over the years, years ago. Um, so that's one. The second thing that I always thought was weird was was how close he was with NLW. So I love the, I don't know if you guys listen to NLW's podcast. I think he does great coverage of the space. He covers crypto overall. He covers some macro and obviously he covers Bitcoin. So, you know, I think he's a Bitcoin believer, but he's also, you know, a, a multi-coin guy. And it was just surprising to me how often he was quoting Travis. It was, it was, it was I found it kind of bizarre. Um, and then, the most recent sort of interaction I had with Travis was the summer when, so Travis was like pumping the Ethereum merge pretty hard. And he was tweeting about it, you know, here's a set of circumstances. I wonder what, it was something like, I wonder what happens next. And yeah. I replied, I was what like, what do you think the market's telling you? Yeah. What do you think the market's telling you? And so I replied and I said, I think it's going to fall, <laughs> which was the opposite of his thesis. And I realized, oh, people aren't thinking this. So I actually went to the trouble. I wrote an article called sell the Ethereum merge. Um, and I put it on CoinDesk and we can get into the thesis if you want. But anyway, needless to say, the Ethereum price did not go up after the merge. It went down. And um, and so, yeah, so I don't know. I, I My experience with him has been sort of limited, mixed bag. Nevertheless, I am shocked at the outcome and the risk that was taken. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. A couple of things I want to talk about. Um, as going back to what uh, you were saying, Jesse, uh, about this whole um, two and twenty model and expectations, perhaps incentives are two of the same thing. Maybe when you've got your customers on the phone to you, asking, "Why are we not in this? Why are we not? You know." more diversified and how many of those phone calls do you have to take before you start thinking shit if i do not appease some of these calls i'm gonna lose my customer base is that something you were finding as well back in the day or when you were trying to transition away from that altcoin existence to purely bitcoin only yeah it's interesting because uh the, my, the, my timing of setting up my altcoin fund uh, 
couldn't have been worse. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I was trying to set it up in summer 2017. I finally got it open December, 2017 or right at the top. Um, so my investors who got in, in those first few months just got crushed in the altcoin bear market of 2018. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think for a lot of them, they kind of wrote it off uh, emotionally and, and maybe also in their accounting. Um, and so for me to switch from, all right, uh, this strategy clearly was the wrong one to be in at, over this time frame in particular, but, um, and, and then switch to a Bitcoin focus, um, was an easier sell. Uh, and I think, I think my rationale there of like, if, if Bitcoin's actually got this, these properties that, um, you, we can, we can count on playing out, um, made sense and was different from the speculative altcoin play. Uh, I think in, in Travis's case, or really if, if in any other fund manager's case where you just happen to get into the market at a, you know, not at the peak of an altcoin bull market, um, then yeah, you're going to face a ton of pressure from investors wondering about this or that. Like I, I, for a while I got emails about XRP or Cardano. Um, you know, why don't we have any of that? Uh, and you know, so you develop your explanation about why there's, there's, <laughs> that's a sketchier asset than it's, it appears for this and this reason. Um, but I think that if you didn't have your first experience, uh, be a bear market for altcoins, then that temptation that, temp, that temptation will be there until you burn your hand on the stove. My investors just happened to immediately burn their hands on the stove. And I think now, um, you know, I, I, my monthly updates for the last three years have been Bitcoin only and explaining that. And so whoever is actually reading those, uh, I think gets it by now. By way, quick plug, I read jesse's monthly updates and they are excellent highly recommend thanks andy <laughs> what i don't you... know if they're available are they available publicly can anyone sign uh, up i don't even know yeah they're not uh so oh, Prince, sorry it, no it's fine um they're awesome and you can't have them dear listeners that's right <laughs> uh and so princey andy and i andy's the the bitcoiner i talk to most um of of any bitcoiner uh, and that's partly because we went to rival high schools. Right. Um, I didn't know him back then, but I think uh, we like bonded pretty quickly when. Were you on rival rowing rowing teams by any chance? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there's a rowing program in Southern California <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not too many lakes around here. There is one in Orange County on the coast, but yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty far between. Pretty far between. But we went to like the nerdy high schools in our uh, suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah, or yeah, good, good times. Uh, I've I've been through uh, the latest market cycle with uh, with my man Jesse here, and yeah, many conversations. Um, always good to have a a great friend uh, and great Bitcoiner in the uh, in the area. So yeah, it's a. Uh, well, I, I, the, was... my next question, my next question was going to be what, you know, the, the feeling that you get when, when you get that phone call from the investor that's just been wrecked, 
and it's your fault. Mm. Yeah, dredge yeah. up dredge up some bad feelings for us, Jesse. Oh man, <laughs> let's go back to 2018, huh? <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, the 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 phone rang more uh in in uh in spring summer 2018 uh than it than it did in all of 2019. Um because people were watching and and still had, you know, they didn't like the direction that the market was going. And I was trying to figure out an edge. Uh, but my thesis had been basically like higher beta altcoins uh, without really realizing that they would lose all of their air um, in a bear market. So, you know, that, that was the beginning of my soul searching for why the hell is my thesis wrong? Why is Bitcoin holding up better when my thesis was that Bitcoin would give way to these newer things in the, in the same way that you know, ask Jeeves or Alta Vista did, um, you know, that, that was where my head was at. I was still thinking innovation and technology. Um, yeah. So those, those phone calls suck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's all I can really say about that. Um, and in a weird way, it was, it sort of became, well, it, it <laughs> starting an altcoin, fund at the top of the bull market uh quickly becomes the defining albatross of this you know period of your life and career um so definitely couldn't have gotten the timing of that more wrong um and i think but i think part of that like part of getting so rocked there um was it forced me to to really look at my assumptions, um, the things I thought I knew about money or, or economics, you know, like I, I put so much stock in what I had learned at, at Stanford business school or, you know, um, at, at McCombs business school where I got my accounting degree. Um, and I had to toss all that out to get to Bitcoin basically. Um, and so you know, being a, a steward uh, of investors' money and having that go the wrong direction in a big way, um, you know, allowed me to to reach that level of like humbling myself that Bitcoin required of me. So somebody like me coming from a background where I was cocky, I thought I had an edge. I thought I had the best information because that's why you it's why you're going to Stanford Business School you're paying for what do you think is the best um so yeah i you know my my the, the journey getting here was awfully painful but um in some ways it was probably necessary for me to to have to go through that much pain in order to consider that everything that I thought I knew was wrong and that, and that I would have to replace that with a, a new mental model of how economics and money works. Is there one particular phone call that pushed you over <laughs> the edge? Too, too painful, too painful. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, as soon as you said that, I, I have the imagery of exactly where I was standing and, uh, and there was a lizard, uh, I was outside and there was a, a lizard running up a wall and I can still see it. So you know yeah there's scars <laughs> wow man like, w w was that person you don't have to share anymore if i'm crying tell me 
Were, were they screaming down the phone at you? Were they crying down the no. phone at you? Were they? Like... No, they were. They were strongly, um, strongly encouraging me to uh, to like try harder. Basically, uh, they were telling you to fix your shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try harder. Do more. You know, because from from stop, lose, stop losing money, stop Jesse. Losing stop losing money. money. But Jesse, how can you try any harder? You you got the you got the MBA from Stanford. You got the yeah. all you did everything right that society had expected from you, right? You'd won. Yeah, yeah it wasn't a it turned out what I needed was not to try harder, but to throw out what I had tried so hard to get. Bitcoin breaks all your models. Yeah. Andy, I'm sure you've got some of those stories as well. Anything um I know you're in a slightly different position being a wealth manager, but obviously you've been you've written a whole book about Bitcoin. You've been trying to orange pill, for want of a better term, uh, your your customer base who are generally older, uh, let, let's say anywhere between sixty and ninety in general. Um, that is a tough, tough ask. But for those people that you did manage to uh, convince. <laughs> You must have faced some of these phone calls as well yourself. Well, look, I'll just tell you, um, it hasn't been that bad for me, partly for the reason you said, which was, you know, I put out the book and I sent a copy to every client. And I was like, here, read this. And I think for a lot of, well, first of all, a lot of them read it and enjoyed it. And even for the ones that didn't, I think hopefully they saw some proof of work there, right? So they assumed that I had at least done my research. However, I did yesterday or the day before have my first capitulation client calling saying get me out i don't know why we own this thing i just read another uh negative article in the la times about it <laughs> oh. i think it's for criminals i can't i can't believe how much energy it uses and i i just maybe it's cuz i was sick but i just i didn't have the energy to to rebut <laughs> it's just like fine if this is causing you so much angst <laughs> we will exit um so that was the first one and that just wow. happened uh that just happened this week I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before um and, and so yeah but i haven't i mean i've had a few, i've definitely had a few conversations you know varying levels of skepticism that was the first like you know vomit on it i would say that recent conversation i just mentioned um but yeah, and, and obviously it's, you know, there's definitely some selective, everyone's got a bias and they always remember, oh, no, well, let me put it this way. Nobody was uh, was asking about selling, you know, when, when price was high and uh, and they always come back and they say, oh, you know, I was thinking, I never understood Bitcoin. I was thinking maybe we should have sold it when price was high, but, you know, and I was never comfortable with that investment and it's like, okay, well, you didn't mention it then. Um and it does have a role in the portfolio, you know, not all investments stand alone anyway. Um, so that's, yeah, that's been my experience as well as my most recent experience with uh, that one capitulation. So that, that brings me to the question now of, and, and of course, this is just going to be pure conjecture on our part. You guys feel bad as fuck when you take those phone calls. Do you see the same in someone like Travis? And then we'll talk about SBF. <laughs> so, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, th I think I think that Travis feels that way. I think that he 
I think he has the right um, sense of like, of he has a, a fiduciary obligation to his investors. I think Andy will have something to say about him mispricing the risk of a third party, um, which he certainly did. But, you know, I think, I think Travis just fell for that siren song, but it's otherwise like a, a you know, he's, he's, a, he's got a strong thesis you know, or strongly held thesis um, and a sense for, you know, the role of a money manager. SBF, on the other hand, um, with particularly with those most recent, the Twitter DM conversation he had with the Vox um, <clears throat> journalist that just came out, alarmed me because it it made me realize the extent to which he had this purely like Machiavellian um, wolf in sheep's clothing sort of approach to um, <clears throat> virtue signaling that he is uh, an altruist or has good intentions at all um, when it, it was all just a calculated play to win a game. Uh, and that's, that is not somebody that you want to be as in control of your money at all. Uh, and I, so I think I would make that distinction between Travis and, and SBF. I think Travis understands the fiduciary role of a money manager and SBF turns out didn't, yeah, I look. There's a <laughs> there's a big difference in intent. Uh, character matters. Fraud is a different level than bad risk management. So definitely agree with those. Um, I'm just shocked. By the way, the other the side I'll say that I won't I haven't mentioned before is I you know this isn't the only conversation where I've sort of expect I've just ex expressed shock at the outcome with Iki guy. Um, but I've learned I've, I've bounced this off a couple, uh, you know, folks that I know, and uh, he has a lot of friends. <laughs> a lot of people are like, "Oh, I really like Travis. He's he seems like you know he's I'm friends with him, or he's a great guy." And you know, it sucks that this happened to him. And I'm like, okay, and I don't want to say anything bad about him. Is basically what they're saying. And um, you know, I don't like to say bad things about people either. I've just been shocked that. A, um, I'm, I'm shocked that a fiduciary fund manager would risk. And by the way, I just want to say, I'm not. We're not 100% on the facts. You know, the facts probably will come out. But what I've heard is that, you know, something on on the order of three quarters of the assets in the fund were on FTX. And I think he said in his tweet. I think he used the term vast majority, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think it was large majority, yeah. Large majority. Okay. So that would be consistent. Like, not just more than half, but like yeah. significantly more than half. And I just can't get my head around how someone would take that much single counterparty risk with an entity. I shouldn't say an entity. Let's say an organization that I believe was doing the preponderance of its activity offshore um, was obviously a private company, you know, like I can make an allowance for doing something like that with Coinbase, which is, you know, onshore, fully regulated, <clears throat> public company, lots of disclosure, um, been around for a long time, at least a long time in Bitcoin and crypto land. 
And so I just, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around taking that kind of single counterparty risk with an entity that, you know, was, was arguably mostly off offshore doing most of its business offshore and kind of shady. Oh, and also run by a, whatever at the time, 28 year old or 29 year old or, um, you know, and it basically come out of nowhere in a very short period of time. I mean, the only other character that's obviously huge in the exchange world that sort of came out of nowhere in a short period of time to a uh, huge influence, I guess is CZ. Um, CZ at least, uh, you know, and by the way, I'm not going to start defending Binance's uh, act <laughs> activities, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I always felt like CZ was at least a real guy. I mean, he was at least in his forties, had a lot of actual markets experience uh, you know, made some efforts at transparency. I don't know. Maybe he's not a much better uh, example or character. But I got to tell you, I would never put three quarters of my assets on Binance either. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. I find it shocking and mind-boggling uh, that someone would uh, would take that kind of risk uh, with customer funds with an offshore, you know, sort of came out of nowhere story. You yeah. know, be, being sorry, Jesse. Just to just to hammer home this point for for the listeners, he's a fiduciary. Um, not only that, he does understand Bitcoin. He understands not your keys, not your coins. He understands counterparty risk. How do you get to seventy five percent? If that's the number, the vast majority, the large majority, what it, it doesn't make sense. It does yeah. not make sense on some twenty eight year old dudes freaking exchange who came out of nowhere who just just take one look at the guy for due diligence just look at a picture <laughs> you, know, it's, you put a cross through it straight away uh, it, it's nonsense yeah uh, a, a few things for color there um so Typically, like a, a fund of that size in particular um, would almost certainly be set up with a, a Cayman master fund or, or something similar to that so that you could engage in, in things that U.S. regulations um, are less uh, welcoming to towards. Uh, and that would also make it possible as a, as a Cayman entity, you can, you know, legally engage with a, bah a Bahamanian um uh by the way i don't think i don't think anyone's saying he did anything illegal yeah yeah, yeah. probably he's probably within the rights of his fund documents you know right. it's probably all set up correctly entity wise yeah so i think that what what becomes a, a problem there is that that probably became part of his um narrative part of his pitch to investors of like i can access through this vehicle you can access markets that you can't access as a U.S. citizen. So, you know, I help you in that sense. And here are the investment strategies we're able to engage in through this venue. Um, and, and that probably becomes a big selling point um, of, of why you're paying these fees. Um, it's because you're getting access to, to a market and a strategy that you can't get as a U.S. citizen. And then, yeah, somehow he fell for Sam Bakeman's uh, his 
his lies of I'm a really good guy and you can trust me more than anyone else. And somehow, and then, yeah, you should still shouldn't have had 75%, but you know, you can get to 50% pretty logically with, with all that in mind. Um, and then the other problem with it is that, that, you know, Travis's trading strategy was a trading strategy. So to engage in trading, you have to have the funds on some exchange. Um, and yeah, you, you probably should diversify your risk there and have them in multiple places. But if a big part of your, your narrative to investors is that we're, you know, we're leveraging these opportunities on FTX, um, then that's how you end up with the majority of your funds there. Let's, let's switch focus now to, to FTX and, and what's happened basically completely wrecked. Uh, everything's gone. Sam Bank from Bankman Freed himself is, it seems to be happily tweeting away, doing whatever he wants, putting out very cryptic tweets. Like it seems to have zero kind of um, remorse. What in your in your mind's eye? What 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 is going on there? And and you know, <laughs> we've got to say it: the maximalists were right again oh, yes. and have been for months we've been calling this guy out for months yeah. to me because of my scars with altcoins and the hubris that i felt on the way up in 2016 17 when my altcoin strategy was doing great um you develop a certain hubris uh about you know outperforming the market or whatever and Sam Bankman had that on, you know, times a thousand, um, because of the scale that of the success in the run-up. So, you know, a young guy had never experienced failure and that's how you get to like, I, I'm just better than everyone. And I, I guess it's just my, uh, you know, my lifetime of, of passion for games, and math and problem solving and all that I've created this thing that's unstoppable and I'm going to win. Um, and I'm going to corner the market with regulator us regulators by leveraging my family background with, uh, with, um, prominent regulatory lawyers. So I, it just, it just looks like a, a story of pure altcoin hubris. And that's the reality of altcoins for everyone that engages with them is, it'll humble humble you at some point and and that's the truth with leverage as well which, um which andy can can uh you know has written about and and has been a, a an advocate of uh rightly so um this market humbles everyone in time and every well you know i've i've been running a fund for five years now uh and it, you know, I got humbled right at the start of that, and I and I changed course to a a more modest strategy um, that has now seen me outlast uh, all these other funds that that were Icarus stories, where they took on some sort of risk, either with altcoins or a lot of them with leverage, uh, and and most of those. Most of the most of the funds that I that 
came about at around the time where I started have imploded because of alt altcoin hubris and Sam Bankman is just the next um, example in that long lineage. We dive into Sailor right now. You 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 two have been uh, studying exactly what he's been doing over the last two years, like myself. And here we have like the, clearly the biggest swinging dick that's come into Bitcoin probably ever that we know of uh, is definitely within the last two to three years. Uh, his tweet the other day on Veterans Day, uh, I can't help but think he had saved that one up. Uh, and I think it was, I feel like a Bitcoin veteran. I think that was his exact tweet on Veterans Day. And with with Mike, there's always a, a couple of layers of, of things you've got to kind of read through and uh, understand where he's coming from. What, what do you think, you know, being the CEO and now um, stepping down and, and becoming the chairman of MicroStrategy, who have put on such a huge position and played such a huge leverage game, he must be feeling, what, what, what do you what are your thoughts on what he's done, how he's doing it, and how this is all going to play out? Wow, big question. Um, so, I mean, I had a couple conversations with Michael last week at PBC. He seemed very calm. Um, I think that a guy who's as intelligent and experienced as he is <laughs> new had probably looked at the Bitcoin price chart before he bought yeah. his first Bitcoin. <laughs> and he's read his history too, Andy, to your earlier and has, point. Exactly. Knows his, his history and history of technology. And so, you know, I think he knew there was a risk that he would be uh, underwater on a mark to market basis in dollar terms on his Bitcoin purchases. Um, There's no... You know, with respect to, by the way, to how you construct the balance sheet, um, there's no multi-billion-dollar convert deals to do in a bear market, right? So, like, you know, there's no alternative scenario where you wait for the price, you know, to crest and then dump, and then you borrow a bunch of money, you know, and and uh, buy a bunch of Bitcoin because nobody's going to fund those deals in that environment. So, if you're going to construct the capital structure that he constructed. I think which you called, by the way. Which you called, Andy. Don't be coy. Yeah, thank you. Called it. Thank I you. remember. Thank you. I didn't. I didn't know he was going to go as big as he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also I didn't got know a he thank was... you card. <laughs> he did. He did follow me relatively early, and he told me, "Oh, you're the only Normie Tradfi guy who's been, you know, talking about what we're doing that actually understands." This was back in, I guess, twenty twenty. Yeah. Anyway, twenty. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think he knows the risks he's taking. And I think that, um, you know, he's probably eyes wide open. Now, does he feel pain like any other mere mortal? I still feel pain when, uh, when price, uh, when price dumps. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if he has, uh, alligator blood, uh, running through his veins or not, but, uh, but, uh, he seems to be taking a long-term view i think he knows what he's done and i think uh you know he's probably comfortable with the the bed that he's made for himself and uh the fact that this is a long-term game 
and uh yeah it's uh it's it's about the long-term view and the long-term thesis and this technology and this monetary asset reaching its potential over a period of decades yeah the i think the thing that that uh the important piece of color to to know about for michael saylor and like just in, in terms of trying to approximate his psychology and how he's experiencing all of this is that he lived through a 97% drawdown in the dot-com crash of his baby, his company. And, you know, surely the board was trying to oust him as they, as they managed to do with almost every tech CEO back then. So he has some serious scars, uh, of, of price volatility. Um, but like, you know, I can tell you that uh, this bear market is way less painful than last bear market because I'm last bear market. I was in altcoins and that ha was a much worse drawdown uh, than this one. Um, and so, you know, if, if Michael Saylor's uh, has his, his one um, comparison point is a 97% drawdown and here we've had a what 77% drawdown. <laughs> to walk in the park <laughs> in comparison, um, <laughs> which is crazy to say, but there's this is something I want to talk to you guys about with with the plebs and the retail out there. We, we, we've obviously been talking about fund managers here, uh, institutional investors, CEOs taking on huge leverage, taking on huge counterparty risk. We always the three of us here on this call always preach to the plebs. Do the complete opposite to that. DCA your way into not even a position. Position is the wrong word, right? For for retail, that there's so much of this institutional squawk box, CNBC fanfare bullshit language that gets landed on people that are just working nine to five. And then uh, an overtime job or then a second job at the weekend just to stand still, running a thousand miles an hour just to stand still. And they're trying to fucking overthink this thing. What's your message to the plebs when it comes to an investment thesis? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Jesse. All right. Um, so I, I think the right way to engage with Bitcoin as an individual is to view it as part of your savings strategy. Uh, and we have two hallowed institutions of scheduled savings um, that is part of personal finance. Uh, that's the 401k and the mortgage. It's basically where you're, you're, you set up, you make a rational decision at some point in time that I will allocate this percent of my uh, paycheck and it'll automatically do it. And I will be building savings effectively. I'm saving in these assets. And the right way for an individual to approach Bitcoin is to have the same mentality of like, okay, I will set up a DCA plan. Um, and I will take, you know, this, this many dollars every two weeks from my paycheck and, I'm, and it'll just go straight to that. And I won't think about it, but I'll know that I'm building my savings. And, you know, that's no different from, so, you know, uh, a mortgage or 401k, those are the same, the same asset classes as like, a, 
I don't know, a buying a, a sports stadium, you know, a, a billion dollar sports stadium or something like that, that a, a large real estate investment fund might do, but no individual is doing. You're not buying a, a skyscraper downtown. You're not thinking about how to like, you know, debt finance that deal. Don't even think about it. Don't touch that. You're, you're, what you have to work with is your paycheck and you should be pointing it towards the right savings vehicles. So I think you're right that, that we're inundated with CNBC talk that, you know, professionalizes finance and personal finance too much. And you should keep it simple, stupid and approach it as a savings, have a savings strategy that makes sense going into the uh, economic climate we're going into, which is to say that realistically, most assets have been bid to two high highs. And there's kind of only one asset that I see that's seriously undervalued. Um, so make your savings strategy incorporate that, that uh, reality into the future. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, I'll, I'll augment that. I mean, I think it's three years ago now, almost exactly that I first met Corey. This is before Swan, or at least before the Swan product. The product was Give Bitcoin. And he pitched me, you know, dollar cost average, no sell button. <laughs> and I loved it. And I still love it. <laughs> and that's, I mean, this is the way. And then if you want to talk about, uh, yeah, if you want to talk about leverage, you know, basically leverage kills. Um, there are a precious few types of debt that may make sense. You know, if you're borrowing against your house and you have plenty of fiat income and you have a long maturity, like many, many year maturity on that mortgage you know maybe it makes sense and a super um, safe you... job right andy as well because you right, don't know what's exactly. coming around the corner right right and really in my humble opinion you should have always have a decent stack of uh of fiat sorry guys i'm not a i'm not a get on zero guy uh <laughs> god bless the the get on zero clubs i know some of them uh i know some of them well and uh i respect their decision but i think for most people it makes little or no sense and um it's gonna happen and, uh, either way so you, no need to rush well, it right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly just let it play out people yeah. <laughs> uh, let hyper bitcoinization uh, happen over time uh but yeah everything uh jesse said is is correct i agree with and um yeah just i guess also check yourself uh with respect to volatility as jesse pointed out sailor having lived through a 97 percent drawdown have you lived through a major drawdown in net worth uh in your life before and if you haven't just know that uh the gut the feeling in the gut is different from the uh in advance you know ex ante intellectual exercise that you uh that you uh do with yourself and just know that you're likely at some point um remember this is one of the things about bitcoin it's always a bear market <laughs> the bull market in bitcoin lasts about this long and the bear markets last this long <laughs> and but yes, Andy, this markets... time this time it's different. <laughs> yeah, I mean those bull markets feel great, and uh, they more than make up for the bears because you get you you know price goes up uh, in dollar terms by a multiple historically. Disclaimer, uh, disclaimer, disclaimer. Not financial advice. You know who knows what happens in the future, but um, but yeah, most of the time, historically, statistically, you are likely to be sitting on a loss. You're likely to be underwater on your purchase, and that's just a historical fact. So 
you got to be prepared for looking stupid, feeling uh, nauseous. Uh, you know, just uh, just try and steal yourself for uh, for these factors. There's another tweet I saw the other day, and I can't remember the dude's name, but it pissed me off massively uh, because he, you know, in his bio is like, you know, investing 30 years, you know, looking at Bitcoin, all of this kind of crap. And uh, he he turned around and said something along the lines of, I can't believe people are still looking at Bitcoin with the amount of counterparty risk out there at, at present moment. And I had to retweet him and say, I'm my counterparty risk. So what I'm what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do is is help people understand again if they're if they're not used to hearing this language, counterparty risk is a weird thing to hear if you're just a retail investor pleb coming into Bitcoin, pretty new here. What does that mean? Yeah, I, I guess the simple example is an exchange holding your Bitcoin for you uh, and telling you that, don't worry, it's here. But you don't really know if it's there uh, until until you withdraw it. Uh, and, you know, in the case of FTX, they, they, they had, let's say a month ago, they had $4 billion of, of Bitcoin promises out to people. And they had... I guess two point six billion dollars of Bitcoin that they actually had. So you're fine to withdraw, so long as you're not, you know, one of the last one point four billion dollars of Bitcoin trying to withdraw. So that's counterparty risk. And I, on, on related to that, I tried. I ran the numbers before this this chat because I was curious about this. And I think this is an interesting. Um, outcome of what's happening with paper Bitcoin in general, FTX in, in particular right now. Do you want to explain paper Bitcoin before we yeah. confuse so, anyone? So, yeah. So paper Bitcoin would be what I what I just described of, you know, an, an exchange has promised to its customers, you have collectively $4 billion of Bitcoin. Um, but secretly, the exchange only has $2.4 billion, $2 billion of Bitcoin because or 2.6, um, because they lent out and through whatever fancy uh, arrangements with other financial institutions, poof, there's there's promises. There's promises in excess of the actual amount of, of Bitcoin. Um, Are you naming BlockFi in that arrangement? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all of them. If there's <laughs> yield, if there's yield in Bitcoin and they're guaranteeing it, there's paper Bitcoin involved. Um <laughs> Anyway, the the so I tried to quantify the effect of the paper Bitcoin from FTX alone. They have a, a, a it's a one point four billion dollar hole um, promises you know promises of Bitcoin to the tune of one point four billion dollars that they don't have. They have zero Bitcoin on their balance sheet right now. So at right now at current prices that's uh, eighty thousand Bitcoin, and you're mining three hundred thirty thousand Bitcoin a year right now. So that, you know, if that paper Bitcoin happened in, in the last year, that's, uh, that's in, in a quote unquote increase of the amount of Bitcoin issuance over the last year of 25%. So they just mined out of thin air, you know, with paper Bitcoin issuance, an additional 25% more Bitcoin that 
was sold in, into the market. And I think that that, and, and, and that's just FTX and that's just what we know about with FTX. So the actual effect of that over the last year might be a hundred percent, which sort of undoes the having. If you, you know, if you really think through the supply demand mechanics of the having, and in that sense, it's kind of no surprise we're here in the mid teens, um, below the prior cycle high, you know, and kind of in the same range that we were in, in the last having era in terms of price, um, it might have something to do with when you are issuing a bunch of paper Bitcoin, you're screwing with the increasing scarcity function in, in terms of how the market is perceiving it or digesting it. Um, and so I think that's like a, a, a really problematic, a really sinister um, outcome of all the paper Bitcoin that's been going on right now. And we're washing it out right now. And hopefully we wash out all of it. And hopefully the market is smart enough to not fall for the same traps next time. Or at least, you know, <laughs> it falls for half as much. As Wall, Street bros are, Wall Street bros are going to Wall Street bro, right, Andy? Like, yeah. you, you know what they're like. You, you spent yeah. how many years over there? Like, I guarantee you the big brains around the table right now trying to figure out another derivative on Bitcoin. They are, they are. Wall Street is extremely good at figuring out ways to make money uh, on top of the money, in quotation marks. Financial um, engineering. Je agree with everything Jesse said. I want to I want to break it down really simple. Um I know there are some noobs that uh, listen to the pod uh Princey in addition to the long-term hardcore plebs. <laughs> so I'm going to so I'm going to break down as an example. So let's say I want to sell bitcoin to uh to Jesse. Um Jesse can Venmo me $100 and I can tell Jesse that he now owns $100 worth of bitcoin. Does he own $100 worth of bitcoin? Maybe. <laughs> He might think he does. I might tell him that he does. Okay, so if I don't go buy the Bitcoin for him and I just tell him that it, he has $100 worth of Bitcoin, right? That's fraud, basically. Um, and that's one of the things that basically just happened with FTX. Okay, and you can imagine that at grand scale. Um, the second thing to remember is your private key associated with your unspent transaction output, your actual balance of Bitcoin, and your address in the ledger, this thing is a ledger, um, is the access to the amount of Bitcoin. And so if you hold that key, which is just a piece of information, it's either a seed phrase or you know there are other formats too. Um, but if you hold that piece of information, you hold the keys. And if anyone else holds that piece of information, then all it is is an IOU. So you know, I have an IOU to Princey. If I actually went and bought the Bitcoin with uh, his $100, okay, then I've got the private key and I owe him the Bitcoin, but I am the holder of the key. And so he does not hold the Bitcoin. Um, and, so you that's, are, and you are my counterparty and, exactly. Jess, and you are Jesse's counterparty. Exactly, exactly. I'm the counterparty and you guys are trusting me, which mm -hmm. you should not, uh, you know, maybe should not do. <laughs> um. And then the last thing I'll say, and this statistic, I was actually surprised at it. I heard it from, uh, I think it was Phil Geiger, um, maybe on Marty's pod recently. And what he said, and I don't know if his number is right, but if it's in the you know ballpark, then then that's a good fact. He said that of the 21 million coins, right? They haven't all been mined, but most of them have. Of those 21 million coins, some it's believed that something like 17 million 
depending on how many have been lost, are not with counterparties. They're off exchange. You know, the chain analysis, the chain analysis companies believe, based on their best analysis, okay, that they're the, uh, shall we say, the, what was the term used? Vast majority? It wasn't vast majority. What's the term? <laughs> large majority, yeah. A large majority. <laughs> the large majority of Bitcoins are not on exchanges, uh, which means they're in the hands of, you know, groups or individuals, but, 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 but hopefully they're, you know, basically not subject to significant counterparty risk. Okay. What do those guys know that you don't dear, you know, dear plebs who aren't custodying your own coins? Um, ask yourself that, uh, ask yourself that question. Why are the majority of the Bitcoins apparently, uh, self custodied? Um, there's a reason for that. And, um, it's worth learning more about. And you got to think as well, when when we have these run-ups and when people feel that FOMO, they've got to go to an exchange or an app or if they can do it peer-to-peer -peer or non-KYC, however they do it, someone's got to be selling you that Bitcoin. Right? There's always got to be a seller. So if you hear things in the market like an exchange claiming that there's 75% more people buying Bitcoin than selling, how does that add up? Because... <laughs> you've got to have the same amount of people selling it or there's some paper Bitcoin chicanery going on. Yeah. Yes. It, Agree. Yes. <laughs> Nothing more to add on that one. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. please, if anybody is listening to this and they haven't self-custodied their Bitcoin and they don't know what that means just yet, it means get yourself a hardware wallet, get yourself, do your own research. There are, Actually, there are only a few Bitcoin-only ones out there. One of them is a sponsor of this show. So just go back and listen to the beginning or the outro, and you will find out which one, and you you will be in control of your funds. Um, can we talk about and you could go And you can go in stages, people, okay? Okay, yeah, yeah go on, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, well, I mean, I'll just say that, you know, one of my missions, right, is to get managed wealth into Bitcoin, actual Bitcoin. Most of the managed wealth going into actual Bitcoin is not going to immediately take self-custody, but at least it's dollars flowing into actual Bitcoin rather than, you know, Roach Motel paper products, right? Where Bitcoin, Bitcoin don't come out. Dollars go in, Bitcoin don't come out. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, my hope is that over time, more and more people will learn to do self-custody. It may take years um, and it's okay to go in steps. By the way, it's pretty empowering. I can tell you from personal experience that when you have the aha moments, right? Yes, it's scary. Um, yes, it, you've never it's something you've never done before and everything you've never done before, you know, comes with anxiety. But once you've moved a little bit of Bitcoin onto your hardware wallet, your signing device, and then back off and you see the round trip and you see, ah, I can do this. And then, uh, you know, maybe you experiment with a couple of different signing devices, hardware wallets. And you find the one that you like best or better yet, you know, you diversify. And then once you've, you know, tried a couple, you know, put some funds in a couple of hardware wallets, then you look in a multi-sig and you figure out. Um, and by the way, you know, there are options to get assistance with, uh, you know, with uh, with multi-sig. Um, you know, there's uh, there's people you can hire uh, to give you some advice on this and you can pay them by the hour and it's not really all that expensive. Um, 
it's uh oh my god i'm blanking on his name it's something i've done uh uh, uh stefan lavera's partner or former yeah, partner ministry of nodes right? yeah, yes ministry of, ministry of nodes Catan. Catan. thank you Catan, great bitcoin citizen highly knowledgeable you know i don't know if he's still doing you know consulting by the hour but you know hire him get to get some of his time um so yeah, I, I I do encourage people to learn by degrees, you know, take steps. It's pretty interesting and empowering. Uh, can't even be fun. And um, yeah, go go start your cold storage journey and learn over time. And and I would add, uh, in terms of when you're deciding where to be buying your Bitcoin, what exchange to be using, I I, I find it very revealing to take note of the messaging coming from the company and also the CEO in particular of, you know, do they want you to leave your Bitcoin on the exchange uh, or are they actively telling you to take it off their exchange? Because um, are they constantly pinging you with the price of other shit? Right. Yes, that's exactly. what that that's a massive red flag. If you're if you've yes. got an app or an exchange that is constantly pinging you, Litecoin is up six percent. Is it time to switch? Like, you know, this is all bullshit, guys. Yeah. Exchanges make their money by you trading, um, by you switching between currencies. So if you go from Bitcoin to chase Litecoin, um, they make a one percent cut or more, sometimes two percent. Right there. They just take 2% of your money right there. And then you decide, uh, actually, Litecoin's not the thing. I, I should be in Shiba Inu. They take 2% more right there. So every time you do that, they're taking a cut. They want you to do that. They want you to be chasing. And that's why these things are casinos. We talk about altcoin casinos. They want you to be moving money around, chasing things on their platform because that's how they take the most of your money. So when you hear when you hear anything like that messaging from a company or from the CEO, that that's a place that is not um, not set up uh, and operating with your interests in mind. And I think that's one of the great things about Swan and this whole new generation of of Bitcoin only um, services that they're all about like like buy your Bitcoin here and then take self custody, get it off our platform. Like that's what you should be doing. And to advocate for that is to, you know, cut off some of the revenue potential that they could have if they enabled trading between different currencies, but they're, they're actually mission driven. I'm thinking of Swan in particular. And, and, uh, you know, those are the places that you should be looking to buy your Bitcoin because they're going to guide you in the right direction uh, on your Bitcoin journey. Yeah. And the last thing I last point I want to make on this, if you're dragging your feet because one of these devices costs anywhere between sixty to hundred and fifty dollars, pounds, you know, euros, wherever it is you're 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 living, <laughs> that is a very small outlay considering you could end up with absolutely zero Bitcoin. Like if 150 euros, pounds, dollars is your downside to securing your Bitcoin, what are you waiting for? That there is absolutely zero point of you hanging around. Like you're not going to stack. Your mindset might be, I could use that 150 bucks to stack more sats. Well, guess what? Next week they're gone because they're on an exchange. 
That's right. And as as uh, Jesse pointed out, one thing that the Las Vegas casinos figured out many years ago, besides how to how to uh, how to manage their mob connections, that's the first thing they figured out. <laughs> but then the second thing they figured out, what was rule number one for the casinos? Never let the customer leave. Yep. More shiny lights, more free drinks. Engage the customer. Don't more let them oxygen. leave that. More oxygen. Exactly. Don't let them leave that gambling table. Uh, and so, you know, imagine that you know that the house always wins in the long run in Vegas, which is true. Imagine you could ins- instead, you know, pay $100 for a ticket out of there and avoid losing, you know, losing thousands and thousands of dollars. Would that be a good investment? That's a little bit of a way to to frame the investment in a in a hardware wallet. It's a ticket out of the casino where they are grasping and clutching you and trying to keep you in that chair at the uh, at the gambling table. Can we finish this on a, a nice big juicy conspiracy theory? Hit it. Sure. What, what do you got, Princey? All right. This chat that's going around, you know, we, we've talked about this character already on this show, Sam Bankman Freed, or. How did Corey scam bankster fraud? Yeah, <laughs> S- scam bankrupt fraud was the uh, best one I, like I saw. Yeah. Fraud. <laughs> uh, when you start digging into this story, it's bizarre and it's very bizarre considering he was one of the top five funders of the Biden administration campaign. I believe I don't know the exact numbers on that, I've not seen any a- anything further than a tweet uh, but of course the number got- the number in my head was five million specifically for biden because i remember i think i remember him personally mentioning that number on yeah, podcasts right. i think it, it was 40 million to democrats so far like in the yeah. last two elections and five million to biden in particular okay so last two elections so that that puts money in his pocket for a fair amount of time like wh- where did this money come from who the fuck is he? Yeah. And is there anything to this conspiracy theory, in air quotes, as you know, listeners, uh, out there that this is all a great big front to crash crypto, to get it heavily regulated? Gensler is part of the revolving door in all of this kind of madcap scheme as well. And then to push through the narrative, to, to strengthen the narrative of a CBDC because we need to regulate this and it's for your safety. Yeah. Yeah. uh, One of the things that hasn't really added up to me yet, um, and maybe it will, or maybe I just don't understand, um, is how you get to multi-billion dollar scale when when your strategy is focused on arbitraging between markets. Like that's where Alameda made its money, supposedly. Do you want to Um, explain, sorry, Jesse, what Alameda is in this whole story, just in case those... Alameda is a, a trading hedge fund um, that had a pile of money to go opportunistically buy things that were undervalued, um, whether that's you know for to hold for one minute or to hold for a few months. Um, and, a, and a big part of their strategy was to arbitrage be- between uh, venues, between jurisdictions. Really, um, you know, there's the 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 much um, talked about kimchi premium from the past uh, where South Korea was 
particularly excited about crypto. So crypto prices there would trade for higher because there's just more demand and it was hard to get money in to balance out so that, that there would be a premium there versus in the US. And you could make money by um, sending coins there, selling, taking that money back to the US and buying coins in the US. So you could just repeat that. Um, and you know, a lot of people have made very good money doing that. Um, but how you get to multi-billion dollar scale doing that is what confuses me because those premiums, um, you, you might make a half a percent, a half a percent would be a home run, um, with that kind of arbitrage trade. So you either have to do that, uh, thousands of times to scale, you know, several million dollars into, into billions of dollars, or there's some, some injection of money somewhere, which I don't fully understand how that happened. Uh, and, and there's a whole lot of funny business about like, you know, why is, why is Sam Bankman not, um, under, uh, under custody right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, if he, if he manages to not go to jail, um, he will have done what Bernie Madoff didn't achieve, mm -hmm. which is uh, to torch uh, ten same scale. Actually, Bernie Madoff, you know, uh, promised something like ten billion dollars that wasn't there. Uh, same with Sam Bankman. Um, Bernie Madoff went to jail. Uh, so if Sam Bankman doesn't go to jail, then those forty million dollars really did buy something. And I would like to live in a world where that isn't the case. <laughs> and if you look back past uh, instances as well, let's, let's take Nick Leeson as the poster child of Britain. That dude was on the run within minutes of being found out, like on the run, left Singapore, flew off into Malaysia, was trying to hide. Like he, he wasn't fucking around on Twitter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense at all. Like, yeah. yeah. And I, saw, I saw a photo of uh, go ahead. Sam Bankman at a grocery store yesterday. <laughs> just just living his life. I mean, guys, <laughs> this doesn't. It's unbelievable. Add, These guys oh. are unrepentant. Uh, I've seen I've seen uh, Suzu tweeting. I've seen uh, uh, you know some of these. Some, obviously, Do Kwan's been. Well, I haven't seen anything from him recently. Yeah, where's that dude? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. Uh, UAE is going to have some new uh, some new citizens. Uh, I think after this cycle, there's very few uh, non non extradition countries uh, where you can live well, or at least with the baseline is living well. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, it is. I I don't know what is it. What does it indicate? I guess it. I guess if you were. I guess if you believe somehow, well, I guess if you're a sociopath, you just don't care. Mm -hmm. I guess if you believe somehow that you weren't in the wrong or that you were doing it for the right reasons, because you know the effect of altruism stuff, then you know you believe you were in the right, so you you believe your own bullshit, I guess. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it signals strength, maybe for the coming you know legal and criminal actions. It's like okay, you know, if if you're showing contrition, maybe that somehow weakens your case if you intend to fight the cases that come at you. So 
yeah, I mean, there's a few scenarios there for, I guess, explaining uh, apparent uh, behavior, assuming these photos are real, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, yeah, to your point earlier, Jess, Jesse, uh, you're talking about the, the journalist that was talking to him on the uh, the Twitter DMs and the way he's acting and the, the fact he still believes it's all a game. Does he have an ace up his sleeve or believes he has an ace up his sleeve whereby he's got somebody else over the barrel who is higher than him who's going to... It, it, it's all so freaking... There are loose ends everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. and Mark Cahodes has started looking into this. I don't know if you saw, um, uh, uh, right yet. And for those people that aren't aware of who he is, he's a infamous, famous, however, we, whichever way you look at it, uh, kind of investigator into like, real shady shit that goes on on Wall Street. Uh, yeah. And short seller, he takes positions, although he claims mm -hmm. not to have taken a position on uh, on this one. What was the name? What was the medical company? Medimidex or something? Pete Petit. Do you remember? Mim, he, yeah, mi, yeah, mim, yeah. Medimidex, Medimidex, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that, that uh, kind of um, earned him his uh, his fame. I can't even remember how that ended, to be honest. But uh, yeah, and here he is with red flags up all over the place with SBF and, and FTX, and it's just um, very interesting yeah. to see where this leads. Who is Gary Wang? Who is Gary Wang? Right. Who's Gary Who Wang? Who's this mystery, this mystery partner, not in any photographs, allegedly located in the Bahamas with the with the crew in the uh in the love nest. Um and, yeah. Uh, and Who can uh, say? uh Michael uh Krieger's got his uh his his ears up on this one as well. I don't know if you've seen his Blitzkrieg tweets and uh, he's all signal when he gets his teeth into something. Uh, so the, the, the kind of final nail in the, um, in the coffin of this uh, supposed conspiracy theory is the CBDC angle and the Great Reset and how that all kind of ties into the narrative that we see out of the WEF time and time again. Thoughts on CBDCs, gentlemen? Um, yeah, and, and I have to wrap in a minute here, guys, and I apologize, but... Uh... Thoughts on CBDCs. Uh, they're evil. Uh, they're likely to be a tool of control and surveillance. Um, you know, I I don't see them coming in the U.S. soon. Um, at least it's unlikely. But um, but yeah, I I am I am opposed. I think they add no value from the citizens' point of view. I think they are the latest. Uh, expression of the hubris of the state and uh those are my thoughts on cbdc's all right so so just so we can release you uh in good time andy if you were had one orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to oh and my why? god i gotta do the orange pill again come on man what if oh, this is your third or fourth time <laughs> i know i know i know who's yeah third or third or fourth time who would i give the orange pill to um, I guess that I would give it to, uh, my neighbor who is still, uh, who is still a skeptic who occasionally, I don't, I don't shill him any, I don't shill hardly anyone anymore. I mostly just like, you know, respond to questions, respond to inbound, but, um, he should get it given his life experience, which includes living abroad in uh, jurisdictions that have experienced hyperinflation. And um, so 
Yeah, I, I, I would give it uh I would give it to him. He'd become a better neighbor I like too, him. right? He's a nice guy. He yeah. deserves to figure it out. He'd become a better neighbor. You guys can lift the fences up and like you can you'll be co living <laughs> before you know it. If he <laughs> He is a good neighbor. I mean, he's a good guy. So, you know, that's what I would do. Yeah. All right, Andy, we'll let you jump. Thanks for joining, brother. Yeah, boys. Keep go keep keep rolling. Uh Princey, always a pleasure. Keep up the great work. Likewise, Jesse. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yeah, probably later. You, this, probably later this week. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, Andy. All right, boys. See you, mate. Take care. All right, Jesse. Uh, let, let's do the same uh, roundup with you then. Thoughts on CBDCs, their legitimacy, how you see them trying to push this narrative, whether or not they manage to succeed, and then you, you obviously. I know this is going to be a really bad response to this question because you've got your mind on the orange pill question, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think Andy got it right with uh, there's no value to the citizen uh, when it comes to CBDCs. Like why, what's in it for me? You know, like, why should we adopt it? Why should we be at all welcoming to this thing? Cause all I see is, additional ways for policymakers and government to clamp down on your behavior um, in various ways and in quite a few different remarkable new levers of control that are introduced through CBDCs. So, you know, everybody should be pushing this away. Um, and of course, they're going to do everything they can to spin it um, as necessary or, you know, in, in, for your safety or whatever it may be. Uh, and, you know, they've got a pretty good track record now of, of rolling out things, um, things that are not in the, in the interest of the public, but convincing the public to embrace them. Um, <clears throat> so I think it, I think it's coming and, that is that is scary um scary for human freedom uh in particular and and for individuals uh talk about like the the single best tool for making your everyday life into a pseudo prison um that right there does it do your so, normie friends uh, see that as well or do, do nope no right I no mean, what, not even close do, do they even understand this idea of going cashless is a really bad idea this is something we face in the uk when we talk to friends and family over there we're like guys stop with this like narrative no you can't yeah. go cashless because a lot of the businesses there one of the biggest pubs in east anglia now all of their shops across all of their breweries and across all of their pubs their walk-in pubs have gone completely cashless. So you cannot walk into that brewery, uh, that company's pub. I mean, the, for me, as a British person, this is a, a complete... Yeah, you, uh, like you, cannot, you can't put down a few pounds right. and, uh, and get a pint. I can't put cash across uh, a perfectly polished oak mahogany, whatever like that yeah. wood that was like when it was put in the medieval ages in this beautiful pub. Do you... You're yeah. not going to let me cross that bar with the coin that I've spent my time and energy, you know, working towards for the pint of beer and to have that conversation. No, it's got to be now done on a card. Shame. This makes absolutely it, no this, sense. 
those beautiful two pound coins. Right. You got a couple of those <laughs> jangling in your pocket going down to the pub. That's what you want. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But now, no, yeah, like I, it, it, and, and think about how discriminatory that is. Like, no, right? You cannot walk into this pub unless you're going to pay with card. Yeah. You, that you, means you, you have to sort be of saying, banked. You have to be banked. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a perfect example of like, that's an angle that a government can push where there is a, there is an interest to some party involved to adopt that stance of cashless because it does simplify the operations of any retail establishment if you don't have to go you know collect change from the till and bring it back to the customer boom it's you know done with one digital transaction and so you you push that you push cash out of society and then overnight you can flip that switch of uh oh all of your all of your dollars all of your pounds in in your bank account are now going to be swapped to cbdc pounds um poof uh, now you're on the new system. It's almost like the 1971, the you know Nixon temporarily mm-hmm. ending the gold window, uh, yeah. which of course was permanent. So yeah, it's read your history. That's this, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about this 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 ancient history book is you you see all of these examples of people tampering with their own money, um, and it never goes well. Uh, but yeah, the CBDC thing is scary. And, and I think you're, you're right to, you, you are suspicious about this FTX story because it sure creates a really convenient narrative to demonize crypto and elevate the idea of CBDCs having value to protect the consumer from whatever, um, you know, it helps make the case from the government's point of view. And that is suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd like to think that Sam Bankman just, you know, w- was running a really high risk operation and got in front of his skis. And this is all innocent and it's an, an, a blow up of hubris and nothing more. But it does make you wonder. All right, man. Orange pill. You got one left. Yeah. Last time I said uh, Xi Jinping, um, which I, I still think might be the answer, but this most recent conversation now has me thinking about, oh, and, and uh, I was on the, the Bitcoin matrix and we were talking about Klaus Schwab would be a good one. Great rip. <laughs> if, yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> Cedric has a fun thing going there. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, if if Klaus Schwab is as has as much pull as it increasingly is looking like he does, um, diverting all of that energy he has about uh, advancing humanity in the in the ways that he thinks is uh, helpful. Are, are you calling Klaus a, a full on eugenicist? It seems very far out thing to say. <laughs> He sure does want to decrease the population uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and enter a transhumanist future. Um, mm-hmm. It's wild to see. I really liked the Sapiens book. I, I thought that was a really good book. 
And then now that guy is like one of the mouthpieces of wow. this transhumanist yeah. push, which is unreal, and, huh? And, yeah. And like if from a sci-fi point of view, like I, I've always kind of been excited about the like, oh, like what will be possible in terms of neurotech. Uh, I think that's exciting, but turning that into like, you know, a, a guiding agenda for humanity is scary. Mm-hmm. Very scary. All right. So ramming the orange pill down Klaus's neck is, uh, yeah. is what's going to... Get it yeah. down that turkey gullet of his. Yeah. <laughs> and all the way there. Therefore, that would go all the way down through that disgusting young global leader program that, that yeah. would change that whole curriculum. And we might actually get some people of worth in in control of policies and regulations yeah, but it, you know it's not it's not possible. It's not possible because that whole organization is held together. It seems by um, this religion of philosophy, mm-hmm. and as soon as you deviate from that religion, then you're no longer in the club. Uh, uh, so you know you can't even orange pill the, the head of it. I think. Um, but hopefully, you know, it, it's just the case with Bitcoin. This is going to be a grassroots bottom up movement until we reach some sort of tipping point and it becomes the de facto preferred currency for the world. And, you know, we can hope and dream that people like Elon or Xi Jinping or Klaus somehow magically get it, but they won't, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so Andy's probably right. You're better off orange pilling your neighbor. <laughs> Yo, do it, plebs. That's that's the message, right? Get out there. It's a grass. It's a grassroots movement. Go orange pill your neighbor, uh, because that is. And how much more wholesome is that? That that's the way it's going to happen. And one thing uh, bef- before we sign off here, uh, I don't know if you've managed to get to any of the in person meetups or conferences that are going on. That has been such a, a hugely welcome part of, of my life in the last 18 months or so since we got released again into the world from these. Uh, when, when I look back at that lockdown, it's just it's so upsetting that, we, you know, most of the world fell for that. And there were those few of us on Bitcoin Twitter, um, but it shaped so many of us at that point. Um we built very, very strong relationships on Zooms with with various people. And well, I don't think many of us will forget that time. But now you can be let out again and go and actual, actually meet Bitcoiners in the flesh uh, and, and get out of that kind of... Um, I mean, this takes us all the way back to the beginning of this interview and, and you know, saying thank you to you for, for, for coming out, for want of a better phrase. I think it's really important... Andy summed it up brilliantly. Uh, you guys just had uh, Pacific Bitcoin over there. We had uh, Bitcoin Amsterdam here. We've had at Edinburgh. We've had Prague. Um, there, there's so much great stuff going on that you should be bullish about and get along to a meetup. Get a you know reach out to someone. There's Orange Pill app now. You can just download and see who's who's close by. You've got Bridge um, Bridge to Bitcoin are doing good work with and Bitcoin events in the UK. Bitcoin uh, BitcoinDay.io in the US. Figure it out. Who is putting on a meetup or a barbecue like Andy does? Um, meeting people in the flesh is, my God, if 
how much does your conviction go up? Would you say when you actually meet these people in the flesh rather than, you know, just throwing the shit around on Bitcoin Twitter? Yeah, it, it makes it real in a way that uh, Bitcoin Twitter can't, um, you know, when you talk to real people who are, I've gone through a similar journey of, of looking at the angles of this thing and being like, you know what, this makes more sense than other assets. Um, and then you talk to them in the flesh and you realize how human they are and how smart they are. Like, you know, the average intelligence of, of Bitcoiners is, is high. Um, and you know, then you, you look around at the people who found it first or, you know, or, or heroes in the Bitcoin space like Adam back or something. And it's like, wow, that you're in the same boat with Adam back. And that's a good place to be. Yeah, it's mad. All right, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. How can people find out more about you, your fund, how to reach you? What's the best way for plebs to reach out? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter um, at Croesus, C-R-O-E-S-U-S underscore BTC. <clears throat> um, that's probably the, the best way to get in touch with me. I'm bad at DMs, but I'm good at responding to comments. Um, and I think Andy, let's see, Andy is also this, just his name. It's Edstrom he, Andrew, I believe. Yes, you're right. Ed, Edstrom Andrew. So people can uh, reach us um, on Twitter. And I'm sure I'm speaking for Andy, but I'm sure he'd love anybody to reach out to him there too. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for everything that you are doing in the space. Thanks for, you know, uh, all of your writing and uh, and adding value where you see fit and coming on these podcasts. It, it really means a, a lot to people and uh, we all learn a great deal. Thank you. Thank you. Catch you next time, man. Well, guys, there you go. They were your boys. Jesse, otherwise known as Croesus and Andy Edstrom talking about what's been going on with this crazy shit that's been going down the last 10 days and the Maxis called it out a long time ago so I know we did some basic stuff in this conversation that is for the benefit of any of the new people here it's a reminder for any of the maximalists out there that are, or no, not for the maximalists, I suppose, those who are on the verge of understanding the, the reason to become a maximalist, the reason we are doing this whole dance of trying to figure out how best to help people along this rabbit hole and not get pulled into the world of crypto and pulled into the world of trading and leverage and trying to be too clever with what you have if you're still doing that you, you to be blunt you do not understand what you're holding and the pause was for effect i want you to understand please stop trading don't leverage you're gonna get yourself wrecked. Get your, get your, get in control of your Bitcoin. Take them off the exchange. Take them off the app. You can do that very, very easily. You just need a hardware wallet. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. There you go. It's that simple. That's a landing page. You find the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only edition 
hardware wallet. You input the code BITTEN, B-I-T-T-N-E-N, excuse me, at the checkout page, you'll get a discount. Have them send you the device and then just go through the setup process. Withdraw a few Satoshis, perform a backup. If you don't know what that means, there's plenty of people that can help. You can DM me, you can DM Shift Crypto, DM your pleb mate. There are no dumb questions in Bitcoin. But this is the most important thing I want to stress to you guys. You've got to be in control. Because if you think you've owned Bitcoin and they're sitting on an exchange like FTX, they're going to go under. It's gone. It's all gone. Those thousands of pounds or dollars or euros or whatever currency, whatever fiat dog shit currency you are trying to get out of, that you've exchanged it for the best asset in the world and you've not taken control of it. That's crazy to me. If you're a little bit more advanced, get them off the exchange, whatever you've got on there, and run them through a coin join. Try wasabiwallet.io. That's the one I've been using. You can learn, learn more about that. I've got an interview with Max Hillebrand. And you know you can stack with Swan, Relay, and Coin Corner. I'm going to leave that there, guys. I really look forward to the next show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Catch you on the next one.